Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Even if you're just doing transactional work in finance, you're actually a business partner. People don't realize that. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers. Now, you've been hearing from Simone Collins, and Simone and I met at a recent virtual finance conference. In fact, I actually think it was the biggest one internationally for accountants and finance professionals. It was also a great opportunity to raise a load of money for frontline services who have been doing amazing work fighting the pandemic a lot of us have been living through. And one of the great things about bringing Simone on the show is that, as you'll you'll understand in her introduction, she's worked in a number of different industries after starting with a career in audit. And as per the title of this episode, really suggests that essentially, even in the more transactional work that we do, we're still business partners. And, I, and when we go a bit deeper into this, uh, Simone makes a great suggestion on the benefits of dropping the word finance from the role of finance business partner. It opens up so much more opportunity for us. So we delve into that. We also discuss why we need to be getting more virtual learning into finance, particularly as a way to share best practices across our profession. And, you know, that's very much in line with what we try and do here with Strength in the Numbers. And also Simone suggests three steps that enable a more effective transition when you're moving between different industries. Uh, one example she gives us from her time when she moved from a tech business to an insurance one. So look, hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you can check out our timestamp show notes, key quotes, resources, and ways to connect with Simone and more at sitnshow.com. And going along with that theme of sharing, We really appreciate it when you recommend the show to your friends and colleagues. They can subscribe on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. And we really appreciate you investing your time with us today. So without further ado, over to Simone and the show. Simone, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you on. And I suppose we got to know each other on a recent panel we did for both the support, the frontline services with the COVID-19. And we got talking and said, Simone, you have a fascinating career. I'd love to get you on to our Strength in the Numbers show. So delighted you could make it today. Yes, that was a very exciting experience on the virtual summit. And it's nice to give something back to the community because we are such a big group of professionals. And it's very rare that we can all kind of get online, share ideas, and it's a good opportunity as well. So this podcast hopefully is going to help us all get a few people more interested, whether they're already finance professionals or somebody thinking about being a financial professional might find this interesting. Exactly. I, compl- I couldn't agree more. And I, and I suppose the pleasing thing about it was, I suppose, if you were to say to me, when we started doing the strength of the numbers about I don't know, three years ago, nearly, that you know, you'd have nearly 50,000 people tune in for a virtual summit on finance, I said, you must be kidding. But it's just, I suppose, the side of the times where things have gone, right? Is things have just gone a bit more virtual for us. And this is how we need to, to learn and share how we do things. And, it, you know, it's proven to work. Exactly. And I think one of the things become more and more prevalent is we're so far away, yet so close to each other because of technology. And I yeah. think moving on from the days where we are all 
being known as bean counters, taking an abacus and calculating and counting coins to today, we're talking about cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and we're doing a lot more as a finance professional. You would say half the time I'm looking at numbers, half the time is actually dealing with people. And we probably just need to remember we're not just number crunching. There are a whole lot of other things that we do do that people don't see. And that's the hard part, really. Yeah, but I do feel this technology helps us um, sort of maybe embrace some of those steps forward we need to make. My only concern, though, is like, how much do we lose the human element? We're not robots at the end of the day, although some departments might think we're robotic. But I suppose like we do with a lot of guest mentors, Simone, we sort of ask maybe to recount briefly your journey in accounting and finance. Would you maybe mind sharing your story with our audience? Yeah, so I started my accountant finance probably back when I was in uni, <laughs> because generally that's you have very few options to pick, and my family basically pick one that's going to make you money, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite a sensible thing, really, to be honest. When you're about eighteen, not knowing what to do, pick one that's going to make you money. That's generally so. I practically start off there, but little did I know I started off in audit. Then I did a bit of work with the government in terms of doing their budgets and stuff in a very small division for training and little did I know from there I went on to work for a cable company not many left their predecessors of the current cable companies in the UK and started doing data mining started doing analysis and I find it quite fascinating because that's not what when we were in university or college being mm-hmm. taught accounting is we're being taught debits and credits we've been taught PNL. we didn't know there's a whole area that finance professionals are in but not actually being told it's there so i went on from that to work for a software development company as a group finance analyst and i was doing their forecast and their budgeting i did their cost center model for forecasting which is quite fun uh, you wouldn't believe anybody who doesn't have cost center forecasting these days <laughs> as a model but there are companies like that the people do it for budgets but not for forecasting purpose and i then went on to the more exciting industry of unified communication which is where we today are we've got zoom you've got cisco's you've got poly you've got whatsapp where people use and and that is an exciting area because a lot of it is very much focusing on how you can market yourself to get your customers in to use your product when you are an open source technology basically whereas unified communication companies are actually closed source so you you're very much tied into them then i decided that that's not even exciting enough i went and did about two years of in financial services working for an insurance company wow yeah Completely different from technology. You can you can see the path from a cable company to software, which funny enough, the software company supplied the billing tool. So that makes sense. And you can do unified communication, which is still telecoms technology. That is I completely part, part ways from that. And I just thought everybody wants to do financial services. I, I don't think I want to work in a bank. So insurance is quite exciting. And I went in and I think the exciting thing like everybody is also, yeah, you can analyze numbers. No, the first time I was doing without knowing anything about insurance properly is to do their budget. All right, yes. That's for anybody would be quite scary because you know nothing. Four weeks into your job, you're going to be doing insurance. And I've worked out that insurance is actually quite simple. And I'm, I'm sure people who work in insurance, it's going to disagree with me. But if you boil it down to it's a service contract spread over the life of something, once you get your head around that, 
the mechanics of earnings and stuff is a pattern which is done by the risk assessors, the underwriters, and that's the complicated part which we don't get involved in. But in principle, if you understand that insurance is very much a service contract, then a lot of it becomes quite simple to understand. I think that's like, I suppose you probably had that in a lot of your roles, trying to get your head around, you know, you probably won't believe this. I actually moved from a, a telco into insurance myself back early in my career. So I completely get what you're saying. It's just that sort of, oh my God, this is actually a bit different, but it's once you get your head around it, then then actually becomes so much easier. And like budgeting is something you probably do in a telco just as much as you would do in any financial services or insurance company. So it's a great skill set to be able to bring with you. But I suppose in terms of adjusting to that, like for for the benefit of audience, was there any sort of key actions you took that made that a bit easier to get your head around the fact that insurance was a service contract that that audience could maybe apply if they're moving jobs into the future? I think from a personal perspective, sort of like attribute style that is, before you walk into any industry, it, it would be good to know just what they really do you won't know the nitty-gritties you won't know all the usps and stuff like that but it's yes. it's just trying to boil it down to basics i think one of the first thing i said to my hiring manager i said i don't i've never been in insurance you know that when i had the interview i said is there something i should read they actually gave me the service insurance contract i think it was one of the ifrs to read which is about 120 pages long oh, God. yeah that's what he gave me to read and I decided that I wasn't going to read that. I still had it. I actually downloaded a copy of it. But what I decided to do is went on to my ECCA website to see if there's any simple way of explaining it. It's just get a feel of what you're getting yourselves into. And also, I think it's, you have to brave it and say, you know, no fear. Just go in and learn. And you have to do that. It's always at least anybody who walks into an industry wouldn't not look at what they're doing. And you just have a basic idea. Then everything would just flow. And also what I did when I joined the company is I decided to talk to the underwriters first rather than talking to my own finance team because they are actually the people who supply us the information. They are the ones who do the pricing, which means they understand how the basic works and you learn it from there from that angle rather than learning it from a finance angle because what essentially means that you can actually be a business partner. Yes. You can explain what the numbers mean. You can explain why it's not doing what you expect it to do. Why is it when we're not selling and we're still earning money? And it's that because without that concept, it's quite hard. But for any other industries at the moment, I'm a senior finance analyst and I work in for global conglomerate in consumer electronics and and it's very cost-based. So I moved back to doing rather than a whole full PL, I've gone back and do cost because interestingly enough, I don't know if if the world realized that, but currently such a big focus and there's so much you can play with. Just then going back to your business partner and saying, why are the costs moving it the way they're doing? Help me understand it. And it's always the having that concept of benefit of the doubt. It's not about how many questions you're going to ask. We've always been taught to ask the who, the why, the how, the what, yes. and the when. But essentially, it's it doesn't matter which one you ask. It's knowing that benefit of the doubt, and you're just there to learn. And once you get hold of that concept and get hold of that practice, people are more willing to share information, and that just makes business partnering so much easier. And I think people don't realize that even if you're just doing transactional work in finance, you're actually a business partner. People don't realize that. It's just, oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah, people think, oh, yeah, a business partner is, is something different. No, it's not. 
like I get what you're saying, and again, because having gone through the, was it, I came into finance from the mailroom. You know, that's where my first role was in the mailroom, and then I got into accounts, and then did my stints in various bits of accounts. I completely get what you're saying, Simone. Some of audience might find that an odd statement that even if you are sort of in transactional type work, your business partner, why would you view more entry level roles in finance as business partners? Well, first of all, transactional, they don't just work for finance, actually, if you think about that. They are putting in the basic terms, in the very basic terms, they put the numbers in the system based on the information they've been given. They have absolute control on where these things get posted sometimes. So they then need to understand what that means for the stakeholders. So, for example, you're posting payroll information. What does it mean for the HR department when they look at it? What does it mean from the manufacturing department? What does it mean for it? Why are the costs coming in? Should it be what is making the numbers go up and down? And if there's a query, you don't wait till your business partner comes in. You don't wait till your head of department to come and ask. You probably already asked the question. So yes, it doesn't feel that way, but you've got one and a very transactional very head down and you've got the other end where your business partners who are looking at all the strategic stuff and you've got all the other more well-known FPNA controlling type people in the middle actually doing the analysis but they all work together and as they said it's one big family I'll try not to use the word family but yes that's how it it's a family, a family of accountants. Or I'm sure, I'm sure there's an expression out there. I suppose, given the learning element now, it's probably a school of accountants with all the learning we have to do. But I suppose, you know, the way I've always looked at it is that you've got various different roles, and some are allocated to towards value preservation, some are the value creation, so looking for the opportunities in the, in the analysis, and then there's those that probably the business partners, you know, out there deploying, capturing value, evolving solutions with the business. So like everyone in finance generally does have a role to play as part of that family, you know. So again, I think I think there's that opportunity to be business partners, whatever level and whatever role we find ourselves in finance. So but this way, I would like our audience to challenge us if they find different and see even if we can find business partnering opportunities in their roles, wherever they are. Yeah, I think that's quite interesting. And I think if we break down the whole concept of finance business partner, if you take the word finance off, so you become a business partner. But what exactly is a partner? You don't walk the path on your own. You walk with somebody and you've got the HR, human resources side doing business partner. And they're doing all related to how to maintain your talent, how to do your recruitment. You've got the finance who actually translate all these visions and stuff into numbers that other people can understand, or they can then say, well, this action equals to that result to, to basically make something tangible because a vision is quite intangible. I want to grow the company. How? And then by how much? What does that mean? So, and then it's helping them put something into a plan. So it's more operational, more execution than anything. Say, if you take the current climate of the pandemic, what does that mean? So you have the vision of bringing people back. Okay, what is the cost associated with that? Or what's the cost of not bringing people back or doing it differently? We don't know. It's needing to know. I think there's all, there's there are things that finance business part, but there's also the idea and the concepts coming up from senior management. They will have a direction. The five-year plan isn't exactly going to change vastly. It's the intermediate stuff. Is how do we get there? If the five-year business plan is going to change dramatically, then there's probably some more fundamental problem that has not been noticed until the pandemic arrives. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which is probably there will be cases like that. Yeah, of course. But yeah. it's rare, I would say. 
Yeah. It's rare. Yeah. It's more. It's probably more also more prevalent in smaller organizations. It depends on what your business in and your industry are. Retail probably never, never really thought of having a, a pandemic of this scale. They would probably have thought of it, but not of this scale. And I think I saw an article the other day. I would be quite interested and read the full article. Read about a couple of minutes of it, and basically it's Tesco saying about four years ago they actually had something that like BCP equivalent of a BCP on what if everybody starts going shopping every single day, what is it going to be like? I don't think anybody really thought of doing it like that. So you you would not have planned for a pandemic, but you might have planned for what if everybody shop every day? What is going to do to my supply chain? That. Bit of information. Maybe not everybody gets involved in that conversation, but you probably in finance, you probably at some point will come up with doing some parts of the modeling, even if you're not in the in doing the whole strategy. Well, like you said, you did say like the whole point of being a partner is so someone to walk along the path with you. Someone's going to be a, a support when you need them. You know, to keep you on the right path, whatever that path is. And and like I think there's a lot of people we work with in the business. They may have a fear of numbers. They may have a fear of of analyzing data you know we've also got access to decision makers we've got this fantastic training behind us that helps us deconstruct businesses so there's a lot of advantages and value we can bring as a partner so i completely get what you're saying simone and i suppose look you've been giving us great advice throughout the podcast you know what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received i've got loads (laughs) you're making me find one of the best one i've got interestingly enough the one that i always remember is the list is endless don't try and complete your list it is so yeah this is quite this is quite a strange one so we always have things we need to do we always have tasks we need to complete however if you try and complete it all in one go you run the risk of either not doing a very good job or you become really really stressed out about it which is not a good position to be in if you're if you're in finance to be overly stressed anyway one of the ways you look at all your tasks and your things is you prioritize and you complete the task that is needing urgently and importantly completed in the time scales you've got you need to manage your expectations with your business partner you don't just let them go because and it's even more important today you and i on a zoom call and if your business partner can't see you on a instant messenger they don't know if you're there so you need to give some feedback back to them and once you manage the expectation, you know what your list is going to look like, which means you know what you can do later, what you can do now. And it, it's one of those, I do recommend one of the podcasts that was done by Daniel Pink about the owls, the larks and the third birds, which is quite interesting. If anybody wants to look at it, it's basically you manage your time. You've got different people who are like working early hours in the morning, middle of the day, your peaks and your troughs. But once you know how to manage it, you can then manage the expectations of other people. You also, once you know what other people's working code of practice is, it makes the whole working relationship a little bit easier. You suddenly realize these people like doing meetings and stuff in the afternoon rather than early hours of the morning, just because they are more in tune with doing analytical thinking in the afternoon, which is about 25% of the people. 80% of us are actually early morning hour people. Interestingly enough, it might change. Yeah. It might change with all the next generation or more digitally in tune. They're probably more moving towards later in the day type people. We don't know. We probably need another survey of in the next 50 years to see if that pattern changes. 
Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves over time, Simone. But I do actually think your your point is, is very valid that, yes, we, we you know don't expect to complete all our lists, but if the whole partnering relationship is not one way, it's, it's multiple ways, you know, it's you've got to give the feedback because not everything is urgent, it can't be. You know, there's a natural priority to the things that need to get done. And to know that, you just have to speak to, to the business partner and understand where they're coming from. And I also encourage people to, to be realistic about what's on their list. There's only so many hours in the week and there's also an optimal amount of time and times of day to do that work. You, you know, otherwise you're going to be burnt out and there's more to life than just work as well. It may not feel like that to some people at the moment who are very stressed or whatever, but trust me, there is. And and therefore it's it's knowing how to fit that in. So it's, there's multiple angles to work into the list. But I think that was a good good advice to start with. And I suppose... If I was to, to ask you, maybe, you know, you mentioned the podcast there with Daniel Pink. I love some of his books. But in terms of uh, books to recommend, is there any you, you would suggest to our audience go check out? I'm not so much about reading sort of like technical academic books, mainly because you probably do it now when you're reading all your case yeah. studies and stuff. I always fall back to Charles Dickens' Car- uh, Christmas Carol, believe me not. No it's way. Okay. Why would you pick that one? It's quite a strange one because there is always something outside. You just don't notice them. (laughs) I've watched it so many times on movies in different versions of it. And the book is just, it's not, it's not just about Christmas and not about charity and stuff like that. Sometimes it's, what are you missing? As you say, there's more to work than just work. There's more outside. So, but you need, and it's also knowing when to switch over. Yes, that, that's key, isn't it? And I think it is actually currently with a lot of people work from home, it's actually a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's a lot harder. For people who can have a separate room that they can go and do their work and then walk out that room and they're no longer there. Some people, they work in the same room that they probably have their dinner with and they can't switch off. And it's quite difficult. And I think one of the things the Christmas Carol says to us is, yes, you need to care about other people. You need to be charitable. One of the things is money is not everything, which sounds really odd coming from an accountant. But you've got you want to do with your business partner. You you want to help them develop. We as a profession, we do all the coaching stuff to help the next generation grow. You've got the, sometimes you have this aha moment when you're doing something else completely different. Some of the best ideas probably it's, when you are switching off driving home. Which, which a lot of us can't do at the moment. Unfortunately, well, you can't do a lot of that, but you've got that aha moment. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. quite strange. You, you, if you count the number of times when you have that aha moment, it's not when you're in the office. Yeah, because we're so head down doing our work, you completely forgot about everything around it and outside of it. And I think a, another book somebody recommended me to read, which I... I have dabbled on it. It's um, How to Work with Americans. Oh, why would you say that? We have, we have a lot of American listeners. No, no, it's perfectly fine. And that's the whole point. And it's not about Americans as such. It's recognizing cultural differences. Cultural differences, yeah, which I yeah. think is key. Everybody's different. They just happen to pick on the topic because they, the business community tends to say, well, the Europeans work differently. No, it's not. Yeah. The Japanese work differently. The Chinese work differently. The Indians work differently. And then you've got Americans who work differently. The Germans work differently. The French, the Italians, the, the Nordics, we are all different. Yeah. And that's quite quite intriguing way of looking at it. And it's again, I had an experience which is quite strange. I think I've only met my colleague about two or three times, and he is a lovely, lovely Brazilian CFO. He's from Brazil, he's lovely. And then we always had incredible trouble trying to understand him when he speaks to us. 
And what I suddenly realized that is because of the language, he starts to translate his ideas into English using a Portuguese syntax, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. makes it very different. So I then started thinking, well, hold a minute, because I can under some, understand some parts of Portuguese. So I tried to translate it back in my head, what he's trying to say. Then I realized what he's saying. I realized what he means. So I had to do this whole middle bit of translation in my head in order to, to translate all these ideas. So once we gone past that, then we, we understood that we can actually understand each other. And it makes the whole working relationship a lot better. And it's recognizing that it's not, sometimes it's not just about the words you see. It, you have a human behind there that you need to recognize. And culture is one of those things is getting more and more important in the digital age. Well, exactly. Well, but uh, but not you know, and, and not just for organisations, but for finance as well. Because you know, the the more virtual work we're doing, the more encounters we're going to have with people of different backgrounds, ways of thinking, and so on. So very much important that we we appreciate this and will add to the to the variety and I think fun uh, and challenges as well of uh, the daily the daily jobs we do. You know. Exactly. And I think we also realize that a lot traditionally finance have come from a very traditional route. You do your accounting degree, you pass your accounting exam, you go and work for an accounting firm, whether you do audit or accounting or whatever. I think today, for me in the last 10, 15 years, more and more finance business partners, FPNAs and stuff, they probably don't come from the traditional finance route. They bring in a whole variety of experience to us. And I think it's also recognizing that it's no longer just a single path to get into finance. It's almost like trying to say every road leads to Rome. You can get into finance with different variety of experience. Yes, there will be certain specialist areas such as tax. You probably need a tax specialist. So yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But for the more wider, broad knowledge areas, it's not just a traditional finance route that gets in there anymore. That's exactly right. Like it was, um, we were joking. My team, I'm the only accountant in the team, which which is interesting. But it just shows that everyone has a different route into becoming a finance professional nowadays. And the last person we hired. I heard that because he had a good sense of customer service based on how he described how he ran his Amazon business, you know, outside of work. And I thought that's intriguing. And, and you know, how you get the commercial pricing, the ability to, to think about the, the customer, put the customer first, understand where they were coming, you know, a different European ba- uh, culture as well to myself. So I thought that drive well with the team. So it, it's just loads of opportunity, which is fantastic. And you don't need that route through audit anymore or practice um, there's loads of ways into the profession. So again, that's I think that's why it's it's a, a popular profession and it's a great place to work going forward. So Simone, look, I really appreciate the conversation, the insights. You know, in terms of audience, if they wish to continue the conversation, where's the best place to connect with you at? I'm on LinkedIn, so you can find me on LinkedIn, which is probably the easiest way to find me. And generally, there'll be loads of other articles and stuff that I've done, which you can also see some of them on the FBNA trends as well. So feel free to reach out to me on there. That's that's probably the easiest way. And I think these days there are a lot more people out there who wants to connect and share ideas. So feel free to do that. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm going to put the link up on, you know, to connect on LinkedIn, but also... I think FPNA Trends, great resource as well. Highly recommend that for our audience. Some great articles there. And I suppose, uh, Simone, in terms of in terms of uh, you know, wrapping this up, you know, you've taken us through a good journey of your career, conversation around business partnering and how to better prioritize and, and not so, so much worry about the, the work, but there's also other things outside of that 
that we mustn't forget. Just, would you have any maybe any other parting thoughts for our audience? I think every cloud has a silver lining. <laughs> and that's I think I think current climate needs to think we really really need to think hard on that and I think it's because of what we do it sometimes can be quite dull and boring sometimes there will be sometimes not always and let's be honest when we all come to doing budgeting forecasting it's quite dull and boring <laughs> but the silver no lining yeah, yeah no comment on that one but the silver lining of all that is when you see what you've done has helped the business grow yeah, exactly and I think it's more visible on the revenue side than on the cost side. And, and it's just the nature of the beast. And it's one of those things is you look at the things, you say, okay, you try and see what's in front of you. You try and see what's inside the box, but what's outside the box can sometimes help. And it's just, and that's when different people from different areas yes. would help. You need to pull your expertise, pull your experience together, and you can have that conversation. And then you say, and then you can generate more light bulb moments. Yeah, and, and you know what, I would that's the bit I'm loving about our profession at the moment, Simone, is just those, I think there's actually more light bulb moments because of that diversity of thought, those different perspectives. And I think that's a great way to, to end the show. So, Simone, thanks for coming on Strength of the Numbers and investing your time with us today. Thank you very much. And it's been a pleasure speaking to you as well. And I hope all the audience will find this podcast really interesting. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers. 